disclaimer, this episode does include gruesome details about true events. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Crime Vine podcast. I am your host, Felicity Brooke. And if you are new here, basically, this is a true crime and conspiracy theory podcast. We don't dive into conspiracy theories too often, though. You guys tend to like the true crime a little bit more. And I like to I like to produce those episodes a little bit better, to be honest. Also, um, I like to stick with cases that aren't as widely known across the globe. I just feel like everybody deserves the same amount of justice and every case is just as important as the next. There is no case that is more important than the other. If something awful happened to somebody, then their family deserves answers or if somebody is missing and we can help get the news out there about maybe you know people don't know that this said person is missing and maybe they have information out there that is kind of why I like to do that I don't like to be just like every other podcast and just like every other youtuber that does uh, the same like Ted Bundy case Jeffrey Dahmer like that type of stuff I like to be a little bit different Also, before I head into this week's episode, I had an idea. I thought about maybe live recording these, not live, live, but like recording video along with the audio just so that way you guys can watch it on YouTube if you like. Now, here's another thing is I kind of like having my face anonymous. That's kind of a perk to this. Um, It makes it, it gives it that little element of kind of like the unknown which is kind of enticing I know if you guys have been following me for since the beginning I did do a live on Instagram back when I had like 40 followers so if you guys are like still sticking around from then then you guys know what I look like but other than that I don't really know uh do you guys listen to this on your car ride do you guys prefer podcast with video what do you guys prefer how do you guys like to listen you tell me and I will do what you guys want um but anyway so yeah I think that's all I have to say for right now so if you guys don't already go grab yourselves a drink because this fine will definitely rope you in all right everybody so this week's case is on the case of Laura Jean Ackerson Now, Laura was born in Hastings, Michigan on April 30th, 1984 to Roger and Brenda Ackerson. Laura moved around quite a bit and in 1996, Laura and her mother Brenda moved to Iowa. Laura graduated from Linville Sully High School and then she then moved to Kinston, North Carolina, where she worked as a businesswoman in graphic design. Laura's brother was also in North Carolina, but she didn't seem like she was all that close with her family. She lived in the outskirts of Raleigh, and then she eventually moved into Raleigh, and then finally she settled into Kinston. Being a young bachelorette, Laura met a man named Grant Hayes. Now, when Laura moved to North Carolina, she met a girl named Heidi. Heidi would go on to be Laura's best friend who she told everything to. Except for one reason or another, she hid her romantic involvement with Grant from Heidi and everyone else. Laura met Grant at a bar she worked at, and he was a musician who was playing there. This was sort of a love at first sight situation, which makes it so odd as to why she hid her relationship with him. Heidi went out of town, and when she came back is when Laura finally decided to tell Heidi about this romantic involvement and saying Heidi was shocked was an understatement. Because not only did Laura tell Heidi she's been seeing a guy, but she also added to the fact that she and Grant went to the courthouse and got married while Heidi was away. 
When Laura's brother caught wind of this, he was even more shocked. No one even knew anything about this Grant guy and he suddenly was just there and married to someone that they both loved and cared about. Now, everyone was a little worried to say the least because Laura was very emotionally immature and they felt like she kind of just threw herself to the sky and latched on. She was known for making very rash decisions, but this is far more serious and a little bit more rash than most decisions she's made. But amidst the shock and concern, everyone decided to support her in this decision because they loved her and if this is what she really wanted, then they would support that. So a few months have gone by at this point and Laura found out she was pregnant with their first son, whom they named Little Grant. Laura was so excited about the new addition, but Grant, not so much. He started to act a little strange and get kind of distant at this point. Heidi and Laura's brother thought that Grant was a little bit strange to say the least. He acted like he didn't really like anyone close to Laura and he always kept to himself And when the news broke about the baby, he started to get very controlling. It was only a matter of time before his true self came out. Grant played all kinds of mind games and by the time little Grant was born, he had Laura convinced that everyone around her was a bad influence. Now you can only imagine how easy it was to convince Laura of this because A, she was pregnant and had all kinds of hormones and B, he was her husband, and of course she's going to take into account things he has to say. It probably got to the point where it was so constant and he just slowly manipulated her into believing it. He would go as far as saying these things while she was on the phone with them. So when she was on the phone with Heidi, he would say, don't talk to her, she's a bad influence, hang up. When her brother would come over and try to come inside, he would immediately start screaming and go into a fit of rage, saying he was a horrible influence and she didn't need to be around him. This guy stopped at no cost and he was determined to make Laura's life a living hell. It got so bad that Laura would actually have to see everyone close to her behind Grant's back. This man was trying to get her isolated from literally everyone. It's possible that's because everyone was able to see what a psychopath he really was and was probably scared that he wouldn't get away with anything. As if things weren't strange enough yet, he also acted very weird with Little Grant. He had this strange idea that Little Grant was perfect. He didn't want to get Little Grant vaccinated because he said that autism was a huge risk in the black community and that if he vaccinated Little Grant, then the chances would be even higher and that would make his son, quote unquote, less perfect. Now, drugs and alcohol had always been an issue with Grant, but he seemed to have calmed down a bit until little Grant was born. He became so obsessed with his business ventures and lost almost all interest in his family. He even started meeting with other women. With all of this going on, his behaviors were increasingly getting worse. Grant claimed he was the chosen one. He claimed that the government was ruled by aliens and he had to make enough money to make it on some spaceship that would save him when the world ended. Clearly the drugs are really getting to him and he started having some bad trips. This all turned into fights with Laura and he wouldn't listen to her when she tried to bring him back to reality. He would somehow justify every bad thing he did. 
He was cheating on Laura and he reasoned that with he needed to do it to get these people in his pocket and get them where they needed to go. This man was for sure going off the deep end. Finally, Grant found an opportunity in the Virgin Islands. He had a ton of contacts in the music industry and there was someone in the Virgin Islands that claimed there was all kinds of new untouched potential there. Grant basically planned to go and leave Laura and the baby behind and justified it with he was just going to scope it out and see if there was a new opportunity there and then they would all move down there together. The opportunity turned out to be there and Grant was making a lot of money and selling t-shirts and doing a bunch of random things on the side. And he was very successful with it, but what he promised Laura, he didn't go through with. As he always did, he met a woman named Amanda, and he would rub Amanda into Laura's face. He would boast about her to Laura and talk about how great her body was, but then tell her he didn't really like her, but he needed her in his pocket for business reasons. Same old, same old excuse. Amanda had been an actress and she had a lot of money because she was a widow and to him that was a big asset. Anyone with money, he wanted. He would literally boast Laura about how great it was to cheat on her. Can you imagine the emotional turmoil that he put Laura through? Can you imagine your significant other boasting about how amazing it is to cheat on you and how amazing this other woman is? I cannot imagine what that did to her. Finally, Laura decided that enough was enough and she was actually planning to leave Grant. She even got some help from his family and she was planning to move in with her brother. But everything came to a stop when she learned that she was expecting their second son. Because of this, she decided that she should probably try to make things work with Grant. She decided to pick up and move to the Virgin Islands to bring her family back together and this is where their second son, Gentle, was born. Now, Gentle was born with a lot of health issues, and they realized that Gentle probably wouldn't get, get the best care in the Virgin Islands, so they decided to move back to North Carolina. Obviously, Grant was not too thrilled about this. As if Grant was deep enough in the drugs and alcohol, he fell even deeper when they got back to North Carolina. It was to the point he was bringing random people over to the house. He got back into using women with his charm and give them these random men as gifts in order to further his career. Grant was very selfish and he would wake up the entire household at night by playing his loud music and, air quotes, working. Being back together physically with Lara unfortunately did not stop Grant from pursuing Amanda. Amanda did end up leaving the Virgin Islands and she moved up to New York City but that was not going to stop Grant from talking to her. This man is completely and utterly despicable. He would tell Amanda over the phone that he loved her and wanted to be with her while Laura was sitting in the same room. He then went up to New York City because, you guessed it, he claimed to have new opportunities. When we all know, really, he went up there to see Amanda. At this point, Laura was done. Grant was not a father, he was not a husband, he wasn't there mentally or physically for the family, he was straight up just neglecting them. So of course naturally arguments started happening and things escalated pretty badly pretty quick. Grant left Laura and the kids in North Carolina and when he was gone Laura was trying to leave him. 
Grant at one point wanted to take little Grant up to New York for a diaper shoot for a few days and said that this was one of the many opportunities available there. Of course, Laura was very hesitant because Grant was acting super odd and with the way he was speaking, she was almost certain that if she handed over her child, that she would most likely never see her child again. But at the same time, Laura is a good mom and she didn't want to deprive her children from their father and grow up without one. Laura eventually agreed to let little Grant go, but, but she didn't get him back a few days later as promised. And they didn't just have a diaper shoot planned. Okay, guys, hold on, because this road is about to get very bumpy very quick. So a week or so later, Laura saw on Facebook pictures of Grant. And these pictures were of Grant and Amanda, shocker, at their wedding. Grant and Amanda got married. How is this possible, you ask? Like, if he's, Lord, if he's married to Laura? Okay, just wait. We're going to get there. As expected, Laura flipped out. She said, how can you marry someone when you're married to me? See, Laura thought the same thing. With no hesitation, Grant said to Laura, we never got married. I never signed the document. Laura went to find their marriage document, and sure enough, that little line where Grant was supposed to sign, yeah, that little line was blank. Are you guys still hooked? Okay, just wait. It's going to get even more wild. This man only cared about personal gain. He has tricked everyone for his own personal game. He even went as far as using his own son to further advance his financial life. At this point, Laura doesn't know what the hell to do. She didn't know if she was ever going to get her son back and she was scared to pursue anything legally because she was afraid he would push back and she would never get her child back. It's not like there was a custody agreement because she was under the impression that they were married. As if Laura couldn't catch a break already, Grant and Amanda filed for an emergency custody hearing for both children. A hearing that Laura wasn't at because Laura was never alerted about it and she had no clue that this was taking place. Grant showed up and said in front of the courts that Laura was mentally wasn't mentally fit and that she was unstable and the courts ate it up and grant and amanda got custody of grant and gentle there was a 30-day waiting period until an actual trial could be held and laura's hands were completely and utterly tied so now laura is a stay-at-home mother of two children who she doesn't have a job she has no money because grant blew all of her money she can't afford a home, and she was actually staying in one of Grant's parents' rental homes. Grant basically forced her into this entire situation and then took everything she had. Laura was anything but unprepared for this trial. She had her own allegations against Grant, and proving he was mentally unstable and violent was her mission. Coincidentally, Heidi was in the criminal justice field and basically prepped Laura with all the evidence that she could possibly need so that way she was prepared and fight to get her children back. Laura became very sneaky and started to track literally everything. She started to wonder if Grant was a sociopath and she even joined a Facebook group filled with women who've escaped relationships with sociopaths. She was asking how she could get him diagnosed and if she can pursue anything legally with that. 
Because of this new find, the judge decided that they needed to do a psych evaluation. And Grant had to pay for it since he was the one responsible for this entire mess. Months have gone by at this point and Lara was trying to remain as calm as possible. She was able to see her children on weekends and she was able to speak with them on the phone every day. And of course, Grant was trying to make this as difficult as possible for Laura. Every time she would call, he would make some excuse as to why the children couldn't speak to her or he would try to distract the children so they wouldn't want to speak with her. As if it was a timeline, Grant started to slander Amanda to coworkers on Facebook. So just every chance he got when people would ask about him and his first wife, he would respond with, I was never married to that woman. She was just a gold digger, which is very ironic if you ask me. Laura got very strategic and recorded absolutely everything because Grant would try to turn things around on her. So she was making sure she would get these children. She was making sure that, you know, he claimed that Laura was abusing the children because of one of the kids had a bruise on their arm, which is pretty typical for a child. I mean, every once in a while, a you know, a bruise will happen while a child is playing, but Grant wanted to play dirty. So guess what he did? He called the cops. And this was obviously dismissed due to lack of evidence that the child was ever abused. Laura confided in Heidi and her business partner, Siobhan, that she felt unsafe. Grant started to get desperate and actually started to threaten Laura. And Laura actually told Heidi that if anything were to happen to her, just know that Grant did it. It doesn't matter if it was a car accident, if it was ruled as a suicide, no matter what the circumstances were, Grant was behind it. Grant actually told both Laura and Heidi that he had contacts and that he could have them both killed if he wanted to. Clearly this guy didn't set anything up well for what was to come because, I mean, this stuff is pretty suspicious and that is a threat, which is a crime in the United States. So the result of the psych evaluation are finished and Laura seemed to have a healthy bond with the kids and she wasn't mentally unfit or unstable. She was actually an excellent mother. The only thing that they noticed that was a little off the charts with her was that she was a little mentally immature, which we already knew. So they recommended that she try therapy or a mom's group to help with this. But no, it, they weren't worried about it. It was nothing that couldn't be fixed. Grant didn't come out shining at the top of the cake like he thought he was. He didn't have a good relationship with his children, and they noticed that the children were more violent when they were in Grant's care as opposed to Laura's. They also noticed that every chance he got, Grant would bash Laura. At the end, the woman performing the evaluation strongly recommended that Grant have a full psych evaluation because, quote unquote, he had very disturbed thinking. She suggested that they have a 232 custody schedule. So basically what that is, one parent have them for two days, the other parent for three, and then they would switch. And lo and behold, this pissed Grant off. He had lied to himself about who Laura actually was and he could not imagine him coming out as the bad guy like he did. He would meet up with Laura on Wednesdays at Monkey Joe's, which if you're not familiar with Monkey Joe's, basically it's just a child's like trampoline gym type place. So um, they would meet up there so she could see the kids. And on Wednesday, July 13th, Grant asked Laura if she wanted to come for a visit. Now clearly she wanted to see her children, so she jumped at the offer. The last time they did this, it ended badly, so he said that he was never going to do it again. So it was odd that he offered, 
But then again, Laura's a good mom and she just wanted to see her children, so she agreed to it. Before meeting with him, she had a lot of errands to run, but when she was finished, she would meet up with him. She called one of her friends in Rowley and said that she was going to be there to see the boys and she wanted to catch up with her. She told her she would call her later and she was supposed to call her work partner, Siobhan, around 9 p.m. to tell her about the sales that day. Laura never called either of these women back and around 4.59 p.m., her last phone call went out to tell Grant that she was on her way. Siobhan never got a call, but she didn't think much of it, and she waited all day Thursday and still no call. She decided to call Laura and there was no answer, so by Friday, she decided to drive past Laura's apartment and saw that Laura's car wasn't there. Siobhan got really worried at this point because that means that Laura was out and she should have her phone on her, so it was just a little odd that she wasn't answering. And a few days later, Siobhan asked the apartment manager to go into Laura's apartment and see if anything was weird and out of the ordinary. When the manager went in, Laura, of course, wasn't there and nothing was suspicious right off the bat. So Siobhan asked the manager to grab a few of Laura's journals that she tracked literally everything in, hoping to find some information about what the hell was going on and where Laura was. Monday, July 18th. Siobhan went to the Kinston Police Department and reported Laura as a missing person. Siobhan handed over the journals and told the police that she was in a terrible and very, very muddy custody battle and that she's concerned about Laura's safety. Tuesday, July 12th was the last journal entry of Laura's, which was the day before her meeting with Grant. The police saw how Laura was describing Grant and the things he was doing, and they grew very worried as well. The head detective came forward and said that she was actually the one working on the claim from Grant saying that Laura had abused the children. They looked into the apartment security footage and found that the last time Laura was seen was Wednesday morning at 8.10 a.m. She had all of her stuff on her that she needed for the day. They checked in with every appointment she had for the day and found that she made it to every single one of them. They saw her last phone call of the day was at 4.59 and she was near Crabtree Mall, which was about five miles away from where Grant lived. Which then leaves Grant. With the information that Siobhan gave them and with her last known GPS location, the authorities immediately knew that they wanted to get in contact with Grant to see if he had any information and if Laura did meet up with him. When they called Grant, he seemed very calm and collected over the phone, and he told them that he was preparing for a move from Raleigh to Kinston. They asked him when the last time that he saw Laura was, and he said that she had come over Wednesday the 13th and offered a visit, and he offered a visit with the kids, and that she showed up around 6.40 p.m. He said that the plan was to take the kids to Monkey Joe's, but first he wanted to talk custody with her. He claimed that Laura was going to sign the boys over to him if he gave her $25,000. He said they spoke about this for a bit and then she left with the boys and the plan was for her to return around 9, 9.30 that night. He said he didn't think she took them to Monkey Joe's because they came back sweaty and hungry. It's literally a trampoline park for kids. Of course they're going to be sweaty and hungry. He said that she left around 10 p.m., and that was the last time that he saw her. He also said that she was supposed to take the kids on Friday and that he met up at their typical location spot at a gas station in Wilson, but she never showed up. 
Authorities checked the surveillance footage and he was there at the time he said and he was waiting around and then finally he just left after she didn't show up. They looked through her phone records and they did find that he tried calling her, texting her, and he even tried emailing her. So his story so far is seeming to check out. The police really wanted to get his statement in person though and Grant was doing everything he possibly could to avoid this. He told them that he would just email his statement along with other things from that day that they could look into that and police waited hours for this email and it never came through. The authorities kept tabs on her bank account and cell phone to see if anything was going through either of these to see if any, you know, anything was just kind of off. But sadly, nothing came through since the 13th. On July 20th, they found her car. Okay, things are about to get really weird, you guys. It was in a Raleigh apartment complex, and there was some damage on the car that wasn't there before. Her tires were completely turned to the left, so this was a very botched parking job. When they tried to get prints from the car, it appeared that everything had been wiped clean, which is also very suspicious. As if things aren't sketchy enough, the apartment complex Laura's car was found at was actually the very apartment complex that Laura and Grant had lived at together. To top all of that off, it was only across the street from Grant's current apartment complex. Yeah, my mind was blown all during research of this case, trust me. I know. I know what you're feeling right now because I felt the same way. Fingers are starting to be pointed at Grant now, and he still hasn't emailed his statement to the police. So they decided to track his phone. And they found out that he wasn't even in North Carolina that he like he claimed to be. He was actually in Richmond, Texas. Now, two detectives drove the 18 hours to figure out what the hell is going on. Grant was court ordered to not leave the state with the children. So the fact that he had skipped town during an ugly custody battle and his ex-wife, girlfriend, whatever the hell you want to call it, just suddenly goes missing is kind of sketchy and a big red flag. While the two detectives were on the hunt for Grant, they got a warrant to search his and Amanda's apartment. And boy, did they find some more clues. There was a giant bleach spot on the floor at the entrance and the entire apartment just reeked like bleach. There was even indentations on the carpet that showed a large piece of furniture was there, meaning it had been moved. They, the hallway bathroom was also completely empty, which this would be the bathroom that the boys would be using. And there wasn't even a shower curtain rod or a shower curtain, literally nothing in the bathroom, which is a little odd. No toys, no nothing. In the master ba bedroom, it appears that all of the sheets had been taken off the bed and thrown in the closet. And the only thing on the bed was a mattress cover with a few large reddish brownish stains on it. When... They went through the entire apartment with Luminol. They got a few hits, but everything came back inconclusive. They also found a letter on the counter that was written by two different people. And it said, I, Laura Jean Ackerson, for the sum of $25,000, agree not to pursue custody to my children, Grand and Gentle Hayes. I am not surrendering parental rights, but I do consent to leaving them in sole custody of their father now. Further, I agree to drop all pending litigation against their father in Leonard County Court. 
After testing this with Laura's personal journal, they noticed that some of the some of this did match Laura's handwriting, and some of it matched Grant's. But they were never able to figure out if the signature and date matched Laura's or Grant's. Everyone that knew Laura knew that there was no way that she would ever sign her children over for money. So going back to the detectives, they arrived in Texas. They just missed Grant and Amanda and the boys and Amanda and Grant's newborn baby. Yep. I didn't mention that. They have a newborn baby, but they did have another lead. Karen. Karen is Amanda's sister and they stayed with her in Texas. And boy, did she have a lot to say about Amanda and Grant. Karen snitched. She, she 100% snitched. Karen told the detectives that Amanda and Grant decided to just randomly visit her and that they had a U-Haul filled with very random things. This was the first time Amanda's family met Grant and they said it was all just so odd. Kind of like what Laura's family said. They kept asking if there was any land nearby with any big and really deep holes. They asked about the well that was on Karen's property, how big it was, how deep it was, very suspicious things. Karen even said that at one point during the trip, Amanda confided in her, saying that she had hurt Laura very, very bad, but she didn't give specific details. Karen told Amanda that she had a really good attorney if she needed it, but Amanda turned that down. By the end of the trip, Karen was stressed and worried and was asking Amanda if she was covering something up for Grant, and all Amanda did was shake her head yes. The police asked Karen if she thought that Laura's body was there, dead, or alive, and Karen broke down and said that she honestly thinks so. This is when she told authorities to check Oyster Creek, which was across the street from her home, one of the places that Amanda and Grant suddenly decided to take a boat trip on. Now, this was all very strange because people were coming over to Karen's house to see Amanda, and as soon as they got there, Amanda suddenly left for a random boat ride for hours on Oyster Creek. They immediately started to search Karen's property, and divers were sent to the creek. Karen was able to point the authorities to a machete that Grant and Amanda had actually left behind. And when she saw it, she picked it up with a towel and hid it in the wall of her garage because she knew something weird was going on. Had Karen not done this... This this machete was a very crucial point to the investigation. So if Karen didn't do this, they probably wouldn't be, have figured out as much information as they figured out. She also handed over the towels that Grant and Amanda had used to clean out coolers, and the towels had not been washed yet. She also pointed them to the hog pits on her property, and she said that she said that after Grant and Amanda left, there was a bit of soil in the hog pit that looked suspicious. Karen's son also spoke to the authorities because he had a few odd conversations with Grant and Amanda as well. He told them that Grant and Amanda kept asking about the local animals. They asked if there were alligators nearby, where exactly in the creek were most of them, could they eat an entire human, I mean just crazy crazy sketchy stuff. At first Karen's son didn't think much of it, he was just thought that maybe they were curious city folks, but after the police and everything showed up, he started to piece it all together and get very suspicious. The divers found some evidence in Oyster Creek. Oyster Creek was covered in lily pads at the time, which made the search difficult, but they did find two white objects floating amongst them. As it turns out, they were dismembered remains. 
At first, they were finding the torso and the legs, so nothing immediately identifying the victim. But they did notice a film on the creek that resembled decomposing matter. They ended up finding what at first they thought was a thigh, but then turned out to be a head. While searching the property, they found a suitcase, multiple coolers, and they also found a receipt to a local Home Depot. The items bought at the Home Depot were moronic acid, a giant trash can, and gloves, so very suspicious items. Back in Raleigh, the authorities were keeping an eye out for Amanda and Grant because as far as everyone else knew, they were on their way back home. So they decided to stake out Grant's parents' house, and sure enough, they showed up. They unloaded a few things from the car, and then Grant drove the car to the backyard so it was out of view. The police were working on a warrant for that car and for Grant and Amanda's cell phones. When they knocked on the door and asked for these items, Grant appeared calm, but after they left, they noticed Grant went to went to Facebook flipping out. He was asking people to pray for him and that his mess with Laura was really, really bad. And he was messaging people and with every message he was adding onto the story and making it seem like Laura had just up and run away. Clearly, the authorities don't believe Grant's lies and little did Grant know they had already found remains. Even though they didn't have a positive ID yet, they did arrest Grant and Amanda and charge them with Laura's murder, held without bond on July 25th. After they were arrested, police obtained a warrant for Grant's parents' house. They took almost everything Grant and Amanda brought into the home. They found notes from Grant and it appeared that he had been preparing for a press conference. With Grant and Amanda in custody, they still didn't have a cohesive story of what happened. And after a while, Grant and Amanda started pointing fingers at each other. Grant claimed that in a heated argument, Amanda killed Laura and he had helped cover it up to protect her and because he was scared. Meanwhile, Amanda was saying that she was a victim just like Laura was suffering Grant's manipulation and control and anger and that he killed Laura and she just so happened to be caught in the mess. So obviously, these two liars weren't helping the authorities figure out what happened. So they were relying heavily on evidence so they could successfully charge the two. Searching the Hayes trash, they were able to find gloves, women's jeans, a towel, the missing shower curtain, and they were able to get DNA from the glove, which was blood matched to Laura's. They were hoping to get DNA linking Grant or Amanda from the gloves, but it was inconclusive. They found Laura's DNA on the doorknob, on some molding, and they also found her blood all over the boat in Texas. They positively identified the skull using Laura's dental records, and they also found that she had been soaking in some kind of acid. Perhaps it was the one from Home Depot? Maybe? Just thought? While searching the property, they found a hunting camera set up, and on the camera they saw Amanda dumping the rest of the acid on the side of the road. Due to the condition of Laura's body, they were not able to conclude an exact cause of death. It appeared there were some wounds from sharp objects by the neck and the head and the pathologist was able to see that the causes of death could have been asphyxiation, but there was also a sharp instrument wound on her neck as well. One thing they did know for sure was Laura was murdered. Grant stuck to his story that Laura was murdered and that he helped clean it up out of fear. He said that when Laura came over, he and Amanda got into a fight, that Laura was threatening to take their newborn daughter away and when he was out of the room Amanda snapped and killed Laura. He also said the authorities wouldn't believe it was an accident so instead they dismembered her 
stuck her in coolers, and drove to Texas to feed her to alligators. First of all, this is not a cover-up. Dismembering someone is a sign of pure rage and hatred and a dominance and power over the victim. Not only that, but to also attempt to feed her to alligators shows even more rage and aggression. Think about it, buddy. We don't believe you. Authorities even looked into his music and one of his songs, there's a lyric that says, I've put a price tag on your head. You must have told your attorney that I've got intentions of killing you. And a majority of his recent songs were about anger toward Laura. They also got a hold of receipt records around the time of Laura's death. And on the morning of the 14th at 2 a.m., he went to a local Walmart and bought a reciprocating saw, multiple blades, a tarp, and a duffel bag. Okay, if you didn't murder her, then why did you buy those things? To make it better, at 10 that morning, he returned the duffel bags and he bought coolers. In Texas, at the Home Depot, he spoke to an associate and asked how to get rid of a terrible smell. He claimed that a family member had caught a feral hog and he wanted to get rid of the smell. But the worker said that the only way to get rid of the smell where the hog was was to get rid of the dirt and replace it with new dirt. Grant didn't want to hear this, so he just bought the acid, trash can, and gloves. Amanda's story was that she had a terrible relationship with Grant. She said the night that Laura came over, she was in the bedroom with the kids, and they were all watching a movie. She said Grant and Laura were at the dining room table talking about custody, and at, and at a point, their youngest daughter, Lily, needed a diaper change, so Amanda came out of the room with her and saw Laura slid a piece of paper over to Grant. She was curious as to what was on this paper, so she looked over Grant's shoulder and realized that it was an agreement for custody. Now, she said that this made her mad because they did not have that kind of money, and he hadn't really spoken to her about it. So, apparently at some point while she was reading this, Laura asked if to hold the baby, but Amanda refused out of anger over the agreement. She said Laura got angry and she refused and went to approach Amanda and tripped over a rug, and Grant went over and grabbed her. And she kicked a wall, and then they both flew over furniture. Amanda claims that to have gotten terrified and ran back to the room and shut the door. Then Grant supposedly came over five minutes later saying that Laura hit her head really bad and that he needs to call an ambulance. But you guys need to get out, and I don't want the kids to see anything, so don't look out. So don't look on your way out. So she said that she did just that and apparently didn't see anything, and she looked and she took the kids to a gas station then to a Chick-fil-A, and then she returned to home to Grant, and she he was just casually sitting on the couch like nothing had happened. And she was confused because they weren't, they weren't at the hospital, and she asked if Laura was okay, and Grant said she was fine, she just hit her head a little bit, and it wasn't as bad as he thought, and she went home. Amanda said she would call Laura the next day to check on her, and she said Grant left a few times that night but didn't suspect anything, but when she woke up, Grant was gone. She called both of them, but no one answered, so she ended up calling her daughter Shay to come pick up the kids so she could run some errands. She said that she was at Target buying some snacks for the kids, and she got a call from Grant asking her to buy bleach and gloves. When she got back, Grant was there and took the bleach and gloves, but she noticed that their large area rug was gone. When she had asked Grant about it, he dismissed it saying, ah, it was dirty. Then Grant asked her if she wanted to go to Texas to see her sister. Amanda's mother had recently died and Grant thought that he would bring the family for Amanda's sake. He said on Friday when Laura would pick up the kids that they would go, but then Laura never showed up, so they all just went together. 
and the reason for the U-Haul was she had some furniture that was too big and she had to give them away. She said at this point she had no idea that Laura was in the U-Haul or even dead for that matter. Then apparently one night Grant was pacing the yard and he told her he was just trying to figure out things and then at one point said, what if I told you Laura was dead? And it was her job to help clean up this mess and that Karen had to help her but the only way that Karen would help her is if Amanda said that she would have to confess to killing Laura. And Grant didn't think Karen would help unless Amanda confessed, which is why Amanda told Karen she hurt Laura. She said they chose Oyster Creek because there were a lot of alligators and they already tried to soak the body in acid and that didn't work, so they figured that alligators would just finish her off. When they got back, she said Grant made her remove her clothes and put it in a bag that they took that to the apartment dumpster. But authorities already have footage of Amanda participating. When Grant went to the stores, Amanda would go to the ATMs to get him money. Amanda said on their way back to North Carolina, Grant was very paranoid and he kept his machete on him the whole time. The same one that Karen found in her garage, perhaps? That one? Oh, okay. Yep, makes sense. Shay, which was Amanda's daughter, came forward and said that she noticed some pretty strange things. The morning of the 14th, Amanda called Shay around 10 a.m. to watch the kids. Shay told her that she couldn't come right away, but she would come later, and Amanda flipped out. So, already Amanda's story isn't matching Shay's. Shay said that she took the boys to Monkey Joe's, and around 1, they seemed very tired, so she called her mom to see if she could bring them back to sleep, but Amanda said that she like absolutely not that she could not do that and they needed two more hours to secure u-haul so they could move to kinson around four or five shay returned the kids and amanda asked shay if she could get her vacuum because theirs was broken shay got the vacuum and amanda told her that they were pausing the move to visit family in texas shay actually asked if she could go and amanda flipped out and told shay that she was selfish and grant never met the family before saying her mother had died and she needs to be with her sister but that was also Shay's grandmother, so that's very selfish of Amanda. Then the next Tuesday while they were in Texas, Amanda asked Shay to meet someone at their apartment. They posted things on Craigslist and it was a potential buyer. Shay noticed the bleach smell and stain. And Shay called Amanda and asked about that and she said that the kids just knocked it over. When Shay got the money Amanda demanded, she deposited it into her account right away. So right now Amanda is when Amanda and Grant were arrested. The family was very suspicious of the two. Shay went to the apartment to gather some things because the, because the kids were actually in Grant's mother's custody. And this is when Shay noticed that the, the bathroom for the first time. Obviously the bathroom is already a crucial part of evidence and has been documented, but even Shay said it was a bit weird. As if it couldn't get any weirder, Shay found an instruction manual for a reciprocating saw. Which, given the circumstances, this is screaming guilty. Shay believed that this saw was one of the instruments used to dismember Laura's body, so Shay immediately turned that over to police. Shay even confessed that a month prior to her mom admitting to wanting to leave Grant, and just like Laura, Grant depleted her all her money and isolated her from everyone, and she was just unhappy. The closest people to both Grant and Amanda testified against them both and were both found guilty in this crime. Grant was found guilty of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole 
and Amanda was found guilty of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 13 to 16 years in prison. And in 2014, Amanda filed for divorce, and then in 2017, she was extradited to Texas for charges of tampering with evidence and a corpse. She got a maximum sentence of 20 years with that charge, adding on to her previous sentence. All right, you guys, what do you think about this case? I think this case is absolutely wild, as you can heard, as you kind of heard my um, comments throughout this episode. This case is nuts, like absolutely nuts. They're just, it's mind boggling everything that went on, everything that happened, all the evidence. I mean, everything like, I'm sorry, dismembering a body shows pure hatred and it rage towards someone that is not something that a normal sane person does so clearly we okay as we all know that there's something odd was with grant we knew that before you know we got to the part that he had actually murdered laura we knew that this guy was a screw loose we knew that i automatically i knew that this guy was guilty this guy did it with all this evidence like with everything that he did before with you know tricking her lying to her depleting her money and you know all that stuff it was clear that this dude is a screw loose and that this dude there was nothing good that was going to come out of anything that had to do with this guy so it just is really sad because Laura tried getting her life in order Laura thought she met this guy and you know, thought it was the love of her life, that it was love at first sight. But really, this guy had no intentions of doing anything good for her. He just wanted to use her. And then, oops, there's a child. Oops, there's two children now. And he tried running away from her. And she was like, no, we are going to work this out for our children. And then she tried being a good mother after they it didn't work out with them. And she tried, you know, okay, yes, I'll, I'll let you take little Grant for a while and I'll get him back. And then she never got him back. And all of a sudden there's this custody battle and all of a sudden he's married and all this wild nonsense stuff. So I cannot imagine going through any of that. I honestly, it, this case like angers me so much because he totally manipulated her and it's just a case of abuse. I know a lot of people in this world today are going through the emotional abuse in a relationship. And that's basically what Grant did. He did emotionally abuse her and he he broke her down to make her believe that she was nothing without him, that she couldn't survive without him, that she needed him. And that's why he felt comfortable. Oh, I'm cheating on you. And now this girl's this girl's name's Amanda and you know, we're going to get married and just stuff like that. Like he tore her down and it just breaks my heart because it is very common in this world today and not many people realize it or notice that it's an actual form of abuse. Manipulation is a form of abuse. I'm sorry. So that kind of just like it, it it's so sad that this had to happen and I honestly like Laura was just trying to do the best she could possibly do for her children. She was trying to make sure that they didn't grow up without a father and he made it so that they grew up without a mother. And now his children are the the children don't have any of their parents not even their stepmother. I mean, it's just wild. Whose story do you believe? Do you believe Grant? Do you believe Amanda? Do you believe Shay? What do you guys think? I don't think that there is a reason not to believe Shay's story because she hasn't given us a reason to think that she's lying about this. And she obviously wasn't trying to cover anything for Amanda. So 
it doesn't seem like she would be lying unless she really hated her mother. But I don't think, you know, there's evidence. There is pictures and video of Amanda dumping acid on the side of the road. I'm sorry. Even if, you know, Amanda was the accomplice in this situation. They did something absolutely horrible. And I just, I don't believe Amanda's story. I don't believe um, Grant's story. This is a case of two people that didn't think anything out. <laughs> that thought they were going to get away with it. I mean, Grant had a freaking notes for a press conference why would you have that if you didn't know that your ex-girlfriend wife or whatever you want to call it went missing if you didn't know she went missing why would you have notes for a press conference a press conference is meant for help me find her like help you know something very sad and emotional but clearly you murdered her so it's a little odd Anyway, I want to know your guys' thoughts on this case. This is wild. This I'm, I'm telling you, this case is nuts. This is probably the most wild case I've ever done. Um, there's also a book on this case if you are looking for more information. That book is called Bitter Remains, and it is by Diane Fanning. I suggest you guys read that. It's got a lot more information, and it's got it's filled with intense detail. So if you guys want a really detailed book on what actually happened, go check that out. Um, but anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm very active over there. The Instagram is the crime vine podcast and my Twitter handle is at the crime vine PO one. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will talk to you guys in my next podcast episode.